Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. And I'm Tarek. Welcome back, Tarek. Thank you. Lovely Decided to be here. Decided to turn up. I thought, I thought it's been a couple of weeks if I, I've had my feet up. I'll come back and see what, you see, see what you're up to these days. Well, uh, yeah, if, if you have listened to the past couple of episodes, Tarek has been absent. First for COVID, which oh, you have I now recovered got, from. I find, I'm all good now, yeah. I've managed to avoid it for two and a half years or so and it finally broke my defences. Well, touch wood, I still haven't had it. Although by the time this episode goes out, I'll probably have had it. I think you're just, you're just immune to it. I think you're obviously, you're patient zero. Just <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I am the cure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, last week, of course, you weren't here because you were at the CWA Awards, yeah, which is was... the Crim- Crime Writers Association Awards. Yeah, right? yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was, it was great seeing um, a whole bunch of authors and writers together and stuff. It was nice. And... You Obviously, were nominated, of was nom- course. Yeah, for the the new new blood, um, but of course it went to the book that I was convinced it would go to. Janice Hallett's The Appeal, well deserved. It's a fantastic read. Hope you had a little uh, side bet there. To, for the, I should have. Yeah, winner. I could have made yeah. some money off that. I should yeah, bet against exactly. myself. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, no, so yeah, it was it was it, it was very fun and it was very nice to be there. And it was um, yeah, it's, as we we said before, writing is quite a solitary thing, so it's quite nice to kind of meet network with other people so yeah no it's good excellent well yeah if this is your first episode um Tarek and i are both writers Tarek nominated for awards and everything so obviously quite a good writer (laughs) um and yeah we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers uh hear how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips as possible and we have got you know loads of great pat's guests there so please do check them out um, and this week, we have a link to the CWA Awards, in fact, with our guest. Yeah, we do indeed. This week, we're chatting with Chris Whitaker, who um, is known perhaps for We Begin at the End, which is, was his kind of, it was his third book, and it was um, his massive breakthrough hit mm-hmm. uh, crime novel. It won the Gold Dagger at the Crime Writers Association Awards, but he also won the New Blood Dagger with his first book, Tall Oaks. Um, and he's got a really interesting route into the crime into the crime writing. Yeah, a fairly world. unique one, I think. Yeah, it yeah, involves absolutely. losing a million pounds at once. Yeah, stage. it's a very stressful route. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> it if, if you can yeah. avoid it. <laughs> yeah, um, no, yeah, it, it was great fun chatting with Chris, and yeah, just hearing about his frankly scary route into becoming a writer. But obviously, he has now become a very successful writer. Yeah, and it, it's interesting as well hearing about his process you know he's not he's not a big planner um and also like you he's his books are set in america and we talk a yeah. bit about you know how do you do that if you're based in the uk and and all of that sort of stuff yeah um, it's so a, it's, it's a really fun, it's a really nice guy and we begin at the end for those who haven't read it is just fantastic so it's a, it's a really it's a really fun chat yeah and it is picked up by disney or fx yeah. Or yeah, Disney yeah, and coming FX. soon. Yeah, coming soon for for TV. So that that's very exciting. We chat a bit about that, and he also gives us some hints about his next book as very well. Exciting. So um, we'll get straight into after a quick advert for a writer's notebook. Then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, 
but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? I did not. I, didn't, I, couldn't, <laughs> I did not want to do anything remotely academic. That might be the first writer we've spoke to that said no to that question. Yeah, That's really? interesting. Yeah. Well, I would, I yeah, so. but yeah, I, I was um, I'm kind of jealous of people that, that knew what they wanted to do and ended up doing it. I think that's, yeah, I don't know if that's rare. Mm-hmm. I think it, sounds... it probably must be, I think. I think, I think so many folk, well, I mean, I've changed. I went to uni a few times and changed over and stuff, and now I'm starting to do writing stuff, and I never kind of knew what I wanted to do at all when I was leaving school and stuff like that. I feel it's quite a young age to try and narrow it's down what pressure, you do with your life. Isn't it? Because you've yeah. got to commit to something that you might hate before you've even tried it. Yeah, very well, that, true. That's that's why I became a lawyer, <laughs> <laughs> and subsequently left the law. Did you? So you did law and then gave it up? Yeah. So now I I, I, um, I write. So I do sort of technical writing around the law now instead of just being because I used to be in court and stuff. But mm. um, yeah, I, I figured that that was one step closer to actually being doing what I want to do, which is write. So. Um, yeah, that, yeah, you've managed so to kind taking of one step build the out. two worlds together. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. But so, so if if you didn't want to be a writer, um, and I, th- I think I'm right in saying that your path to becoming a writer was an extremely unusual one. Do you want yes. to tell us a bit about that? Yes, yeah. So, um, so I left school without any qualifications, um, and my parents kind of had this idea that I would go to university because it was. You know, not necessarily because there's a career that you want, just because it's the done thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like all yeah. my friends went to university and, and no one really, like some of them wanted to be doctors, lawyers, things like that. But a lot of them just wanted to go to university um, just for the experience. And and I kind of wish that I had, you know, like when like my wife went and my brother and, and when I talk to people and it just sounds like one of the best experiences that you can have. And I feel like I missed out on it because I was... I was impatient to, I don't know, I, I think I thought something something would find me, you know, like I'd find my way. and um, But it doesn't work like that, does it? It, it didn't at first, that's for sure, because I, um, I just did bar work and sales and, and, and loads of jobs that I just really didn't enjoy. And I, and I did start to think, you know, where am I going to fit? Um, but then loads of people don't, do they, with their careers? They just work to pay the bills yeah that's right it seems like such a big chunk of your life to do that you know if you can't get anything else out of it so I um was working as an estate agent when I was mugged and stabbed which I've talked about before and um and then suffered from PTSD afterwards um but but didn't know it was PTSD because I didn't tell anyone like my mum was one of those tough single mums and she um you know, we struggled for money and stuff, but she never showed it. You know, she always just smiled and, and got on with it. So I kind of learned from a young age not to to ask anyone for help. And um, and things got worse and worse. And then um, I was like suicidal and and I began um, hoarding painkillers and I was going to take them all. And then um, that day, that same day when I was going to do it, I'd been to the library and I got a self-help book out. And, um, and it talks about a technique where you you take the traumatic incident and you you write about it, but you change the characters involved to fictional characters and um, and you change the outcome and the location. And um, and so I wrote um, a character called Duchess, who is the star of We Begin at the End. Oh, right. And, um, and that was 20 years ago. Um, so I didn't want to be a writer. I just was trying something like a writing as therapy. And, um, and, and that kind of got me through that night. So I felt 
I didn't really feel better. I just slept for the first time because that was the worst thing after it happened. I just kept replaying it in my mind and, um, you know, kind of playing out different scenarios where I'd just given my phone straight away and I hadn't put up a fight and or where I where he pulled the knife and I ran away instead of trying to get it off him. And, you know, just a million things you could have done differently that um, wouldn't have got me into such a kind of mess. Um, but the, yeah, so so writing helped me at that point. And um, and probably a few weeks after that, I, I wrote my car off because I got really drunk and I was taking drugs and I flipped my car over and um, and was in hospital again and had stitches again and and again had the chance to tell my parents about it, but didn't take it. Um, just I'd rather I'd, they just had a go at me for drink driving. And um you know I'd, I, that was preferable to going to going into it because it was such it's such a difficult thing to talk about you know yeah. like a mental health problem yeah. I mean it's better now but it's still not easy and um and so I, I kind of stuck with this writing as therapy thing for a while and um and just wrote scenes of this girl's life um nothing ran together it wasn't supposed to be a story it was all kind of fragments and sometimes a sentence sometimes five thousand words and um, and it, I don't know if it was just distraction, purely distraction, but it helped me. And until I kind of about probably a year later decided that I wanted to be a stockbroker because I um I just picked up a newspaper just by chance, and there was an article about stockbroker, and um and it seemed like a, a good life, you know. And it was just it was one of those moments, you know, where you just go for it. And so I just, I'm very impulsive and I just decided, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to be a stockbroker despite my qualifications and things like that or lack of qualifications. So I paid for my exams and, um, and took all the tests and things like that without a job offer and passed them and then went into the city and realized, you know, it's a tough place to get a job. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's chasing the same sort of roles. And, um, and from there I worked as a stockbroker for like a trainee broker you know doing client entertaining and stuff but again it was you know in those days it was a drink and drugs culture I think it's less yeah. so now than it was but um it didn't on one hand it fit my personality type you know I was quite good at staying up all night and things like that and but then I also felt like I was heading for for a fall again because I was um doing everything that got me into into a mess the first time around yeah and and then I lost a load of money I lost um I got into a million pounds worth of debt um which was unexpected because I had I had um I had a trading limit um a stop loss of of $20,000 and and then I lost 2 million dollars kind of straight away um and again did that thing where I don't tell anyone and I try and fix it and um and it just kind of it all blew up and I ended up signing something that put me in a ton of debt and um, and so kind of overnight, I felt like I was back where I'd been after yeah. I'd just been stabbed, you know, mentally. I felt like, you know, I've undone everything, all the hard work that I've done. And um, and so I went back to writing again. And and that was. The pro- I was probably about 25 at the time and um, and eventually worked off all the debt and then um, and then just quit because I, I didn't want to do it and I wasn't happy and. And I look back and I, I kind of thought, what was the constant in my life? And it was writing. So, so I thought I'll, I'll give it a go. But it was, it was about, yeah, it was a mad decision because my wife was pregnant and we had no income and, and over every, everything was secure. You know, I was doing well in the city at that point and kind of our future was already written, you know, and it, it looked fairly stable and comfortable. And, um, and then I did this thing again where I just, blew everything up just because I was I was unhappy was it something I take it I mean working that kind of job in the city where it kind of takes over your life almost both kind of mentally and your actual time as well um is it kind of thing where you couldn't have written a book at the same time did you, are you I get a kind of impression that you kind of have to give yourself 100% to something to whatever you're doing you have to give your, your all to it and you couldn't have written a book and worked it at the same time um I don't think in that job yeah I don't think I could have carried on I just it got to the point where I dreaded you know every day staring at the numbers at the blinking stock market numbers you yeah. know and it felt a bit like you know soul destroying and and I just I suppose you're also working to pay off this debt as well which is yeah yeah working to stand but, still almost 
Exactly. So it was pretty much a few days after paying it off that I read a book called The Last Child by John Hart. Um, and I love John Hart. He's just like, it's lyrical and beautiful. And, you know, it's on the surface, this book's about a missing child, but it's, it's much more than that. And then he was a lawyer and he quit to, to write a book. And so, so it was like, I think a day later that I did the exact same thing just because he did it. You know, it was like one of those mad impulsive <laughs> things. But um, looking back, you know, I still can't believe I did it. When I look back at it now, when I talk to my wife about it, I just think it was mad. You know, when, when a baby is coming yeah. and and you have to sell your car and your, where you live and, you know, you can't. It's what just did your mad. wife say? Was she um, supportive at the time? She was, but it was also... Because I said I'm going to quit and become a writer and she didn't know I'd written anything because I'd always kept it quiet. I'd kind of wrote when she was asleep and um, and just used it as therapy, which I kept completely to myself. So it was a shock. But she also knew that I was miserable, you know, and she also knew there was something always there that that, um, you know, that I wasn't really there if that makes sense, you know, like I'd be in the room, but kind of be on my own sometimes um, with my thoughts. And, um, and, um, and so I think she, there was a bit of relief that I'd kind of told her everything that had happened and, and how I'd been feeling. And, and so she was completely supportive, but it must've been a shock to her. And it, cause you know, you think you're marrying someone, you know, and you think you've got this, you know, there's a baby on the way and security is never more important. Um, and then all of a sudden to, to have it taken away from you. But she didn't ever say it. She didn't ever. She just said, you know, we'll find a way to make it work. And and we did that by moving to Spain um, and living there while I wrote Tall Oaks, my debut. And so so it was Tall Oaks that you worked on then. I mean, had, had was that the very first piece of fiction that you that yeah. you tried to write? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, did you... And then I think it got picked up in the slush pile. You know, you went through that process. Yes, um, exactly that. Yeah, so... yeah. Because all of a sudden, I discovered, you know, how do, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, cause most people don't know. I think. Yeah. You you know, agents are gatekeepers, and you can't approach publishers directly. And I didn't know any of this. So, so I mean, how, how did that? How, what did you do? And how long did it take for it to be to be picked up? Um, it was really quick, actually, um, but. I, I started, so I wrote Tall Oaks. I wrote a, a bad first draft of it and then the baby was born and and life kind of got in the way for a while. But I had this book that I thought was, I didn't ever think it was good. You know, I didn't think it was good enough, but I thought if I have some help with it, maybe it could turn into something. Mm-hmm. It felt right. It felt like the kind of story that I would want to read. Um, so I, I began researching and I read something about how you should, you know, approach agents whose whose lists you admire, you know, who represent authors that you like, who you think might be similar. And um, and so I approached, I think, about six or seven agents and uh, and I'd read a lot of the, the books that they represent. And um, but my, I remember I found my covering letter, you know, that you send with it. Yeah. Um, the other day and there was just nothing on it it was like two sentences oh really it just said like I, I used to work in the city and now I've written a book <laughs> and um, and I also pitched, pitched it I said I've written a YA book and it's Tall Oaks is an adult book clearly uh-huh. and um, but I thought because it had like a, a teenage a couple of teenage characters as in the central roles that it would be a YA so I completely messed that up as well and um, I think it was about a week and someone asked for the full manuscript and then maybe another few days until I was offered representation. Wow, and then I nice. used, yeah, it was really fast. And then I used that to message the other agents and just mm-hmm. say, I've had an offer, you know, I'm going to, I can't remember the way I, I found it on like a template thing online, yeah. this weird writing <laughs> website. And it says, this is how you should structure it. And then, and then I had a load of agent offers. I went into London and met with, with them but I really wanted um Kath Summerhays at WME she was at WME at the time because I really loved there was a book called Bed by David Whitehouse which was just brilliant and I really loved it and I really and it was a bit weird and Tall Oaks was a bit weird and, and I thought she's the, the perfect agent for me and um and then I had a great meeting with her and that feeling when you get you know offered representation is is one that I won't forget and did you you know, you said there that you were hoping someone could help you 
polish it and improve it and stuff. I mean, was there a lot of work to do for it before it got published? Not really. Um, before it got published, yes. Before it went out to publishers, no. Right. No, because I know some agents do a lot of work editorially. Yeah. And um, mine isn't like that so much. Um, so, but then it found its way to Joel uh, and Bonnier. And, um, and I had this brilliant meeting with Joel and we just, he really kind of got the story. And then he, he told me that the problem with the current draft was that some of the chapters or a lot of them just don't move the story forward. And he said, um, at the end of each page you read, read back over it and kind of look at, does this move the story forward? What is this, you know, what's happening here? And it, and it really, it kind of helped me to, to zero in on it, on, on the problems with it. And, and it was the pace. It's always the most difficult thing, I think, getting the pace right in a book. I mean, you've got to, you sit down and you've got 100,000 words to tell a story and you need to, you know, some bits are kind of close together, you know, clumped together. You get all this this bit of plot and then you get a load of description and then, you know, it just goes all over the place. And I, I, I'm very much, I write like that. So, so having an editor to help me, you know, balance it slightly is, is what I needed. Mm-hmm. And um and from there, probably a year or so, a couple of years till we published. So maybe three or four years since I first signed till publication. And and what's your what's your writing style then? So you've you you've been you're gonna mention there that your style I guess it sounds like it's kind of just writing it in one goes as fast as you can to get it done on on the page or do you, do you, sit and do you plan it was for it was for that one it was for tall oaks but it's it that was more because the baby was coming like there was, a, <laughs> I was there was a real awareness that um you know if i don't get this done um yeah. i'm not going to get it done yeah um but no no not at all i i sit down there is no there's no plan other than a very rough ending that i'll start with and then I won't write the first chapter. I'll write something from the middle because I think there's a lot of pressure when you begin, you know, to nail it and hook the reader and things like that. And and I so to take the pressure off, I just kind of I just start writing parts of the book that I want to write on on any given day. So I might write something three quarters of the way through, or I might write five thousand words from the very middle of the book. And um, and then slowly over time, you end up with a lot, you know, a lot that you don't really need and and a lot that will get cut out but it's kind of like feeling your way isn't it it's like um it's like learning how the characters will react in any given situation and and that all takes time and I don't I I can't do it planning you know I try and write down this character is going to be like that she looks like this she wants she's going to be like this you know and it, it never works like that mm-hmm. at all so then do you do you write these kind of sections out of sequence etc and then and then do you sit down and say, right, how can I stitch them together? You know, what's the plot line here? What's the through story? Yes. Yeah, more so that comes later. But there's never, until the very end, I'll never put it down like the plan and say this is, you know, happening here and, and there. And, and it will more just be a way of, you know, why is she acting like that at this point? That should come earlier. You know, she wouldn't know this at this point. So it gets moved around like that. And um, it's a messy way to do it. And you end up with a lot a hell of a lot that you don't need and um and it takes probably twice as long as it should I think like my publishers would like me to publish a book every other year and I think I'm on every four years at the moment so it's um it's difficult for them I think but (laughs) but until I find until I find a better way of doing it um it's just what feels right and it doesn't feel right unless unless I follow this path yeah, I mean, I suppose that is what, you know, they say discovery writing, but that sounds like very much what the process is. You're just trying to find out how these characters act and, and all of these sorts of things in, in the process of writing itself. But does that mean that in the, you know, once you've done that part where you, you've you've sort of got all these pieces together and you've got all these words that you're then trying to coalesce into a story, do your later drafts follow a more conventional style i suppose they do they do once once an editor is involved um you know we really like i've just finished the first draft of the new book and um and we're going through first edits like we're at the pre-bit you know you meet a few times and discuss things before you get a full set of notes and um and it will be 
it's more about tightening things up you know cutting I'm, I'm a long way over on the word count and yeah I suppose I suppose at this point it becomes more conventional you know um, we need to get from this point to this point and at the moment we're taking a longer route than we should and um, it's just about finding the best way to do that and a way to do that that um, doesn't kind of compromise anything else that's been done I'm not precious at all you know I like quite a tough edit you know if yeah. something's not working if something's not very good I, I like to be told and because um, you get too close to it don't you when you're writing that's because something makes perfect sense to me um doesn't mean that it will to anyone else and yeah. that often happens yeah we were speaking to uh, one of our other guests last week in fact who said that she likes to um she will give bits of her writing her latest project to people to read because she's found that you know in the past you can you can be writing something thinking that it's you know it's clear that well, the story where the story is going and other people pick up it's something entirely different from it so yes. you do need that extra set of eyes whether it's during the process or after the process or whatever but mm -hmm. to to make sure it flows as it as it needs to and tall oaks i mean was a was a great success it won the it won the debut award at the c, c uh, the crime writers association awards mm -hmm. um and that must have been vindication in a way i suppose that you'd made the correct choices in terms of you know the, the path that got you to this point i think so i think i thought it was a mistake at first um i mean it's the you'll get to go to the dinner won't you you're on the shortlist now yeah yeah i'm looking forward to the dinner yeah it's really good fun um i didn't get to go to it last year because it was online oh, of course that's right, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like i missed out on it but um it's great fun but <clears throat> but i fell out of my depth you know i didn't i didn't know anyone i just was there and was kind of um pointing to my uh, um pointing in the direction of you know big name authors that i recognized mm -hmm. and, and i felt like a fan um, and I still do. You know, when I go to Harrogate and things like this, I feel like I want to ask people for their autographs. <laughs> and um, and and I was up again, you know, the competition as well. I, I try not to tried not to look at it at the time because I thought there's just no way in hell because Tall X didn't sell that well. You know, it was it reviewed quite well. And um, and people uh, messages from readers were really nice, you know, and people really got into it and got into the story. But um, it didn't feel like a big book, you know, and I thought it's big books that win awards. And um, and so it was really cool. But it also, it's hard, isn't it? Because until you're a full-time author, you you're constantly finding time to write, which makes it feel more like a hobby. And, you know, and you get people that, that assume it's a hobby and people... And the amount of times I've had it kind of said to me, you know, like that it's a hobby and it's it's not going to pay the bills. And it's, you know, uh, so many people have said things like that to me. And um, and so it, I always and I was still working like three other jobs for years and years. Um, so whilst it was amazing, it was it wasn't. It didn't overnight kind of change everything. You know, it didn't happen like that. I won it and it was lovely. And 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 I think it helps when you go to, to renegotiate a new publishing deal or go to a new publisher. It looks good to have something like that on your CV that you've been recognised. And, you know, it gives them some, um, some idea of what, you know, that, that you're kind of on the right track and you're doing the right thing. But it was it was still difficult it just pays so badly doesn't it writing is so hard to make money for it's one writing. of these things where we've seen we've seen that quite quite a lot that it's one of these things where you spend you know a year of, of your life on a on a on a piece of work and yeah and it, it can get go nowhere it can just get dropped and that's it you know and you make zero money off it and so it's a mm -hmm. it's a lot of work writing for for a bit of a gamble the hourly rate is back. very very oh the hourly rate I know, <laughs> I know i did it for my first two books and it was like there is there's a living wage and then there's an author wage somewhere <laughs> way below it but that's why it has to be has to be more doesn't it i mean no one yeah. goes into it to to become rich or no you have to do it because you love and, and it's a story that you really want to tell yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and I would do it for free. Um, I would still, you know, I'd, 
I wrote for years without anyone reading it. And I didn't imagine ever anyone um, mm. kind of reading anything I'd ever written. I didn't think I'd become an author. And I still just wrote because it helped me and I enjoyed it. Um, but it's really cool, though. You know, at the dinner, you know, it's just such a, a brilliant thing to to get to be to experience and to be part of. And um, I love the CWA. Well, it's interesting because you're you you say that you kind of wrote for years without any idea of where it would go or or or, or any inclination. But the stuff that you were you were writing all kind of did end up feeding into your third book. Um, it did. So all the Duchess stuff. We mm-hmm. begin at the end is your third book, and that's been a really. I mean, is it fair to say that's when you're kind of you exploded on, onto the scene in a in a big way? That was a book that kind of yeah. everyone knows you for now, and it's, it's kind of everywhere. And um, so, I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the book's about and and how your writing fed into that? Yeah, so so I had um, I said before that I'd re- written parts of this girl's life, you know, this thirteen year old girl named Duchess, and um, and I I'd written two books. I had a two book deal, my first publishing deal, and then I signed another two book deal and um, and they said, what are you going to write? And I had this file um, called Duchess on my desktop and I always ignored it because it felt really personal and it felt like, you know, I, if I open it and start reading what I, I'll remember where I was mentally when I wrote bits and um, and so, but I also, it also felt like unfinished business and that I should try and find some closure you know and and write the end of this story or even turn it into a story you know I had lots of words but none of them in order and none of them anywhere close to being a story um I just had this idea of this girl and she was um she she was wearing a Stetson and she was quite small outwardly thin and and um but carrying a gun so obviously tough and um and I set out to write her story um it was just going to be a year in her life an eventful year and um and I wanted to look at you know the shadow of past events you know because I I lived my life a lot of my adult life kind of under this cloud of these things that I'd done or these things that had happened to me and um and I wondered you know how much that's affected me and how that's affected the the me you know the day-to-day decisions that I make and the way that I am as a person um, all the things that have happened to me. So I, I took it all the way back to her, you know, being 13. And and the book begins with the death of a child. And that occurs a long time before she was born, because it, it's it, it's a, it's her aunt that, that was murdered or killed at the start of the book. And um, and so I looked at what would happen, you know, if you're born under under this kind of this cloud, you know, um, how does that affect your life? And in Duchess, she is massively affected by you know her her mum is um dependent on alcohol and drugs and and so she's forced to be a carer to her younger brother and um, and all these things kind of happen and because of this thing that's this this terrible event that's occurred before she was born so she's kind of written off before she's even you know out of her childhood and um and so from there it was about building out around her you know she she lives in this town called Cape Haven this beautiful town on the California coast and um her mum's friend is Walk who's the chief of police and um and the person that caused the death at the start of the, the book is named Vincent that's not a spoiler um it happens at the very beginning of the book and and we catch up with them um he's just coming out of prison for causing the death of the Duchess's arm and um, and Duchess is worried, you know, about this man coming back into her mum's life and her mum's fragile anyway. And, and so she takes action. And um, and then there's a ripple effect. You know, the thing that she does to, to kind of get rid of this man and um, look after her mum causes huge problems for her. It's a it's a fantastic book. I absolutely loved it. And thank you it, very well. Um, you know, it had a phenomenal success and it rightly so it won the. Crime Association Award, the Thiexton Crime Novel of the Year, etc., and um, and I think the what really struck me and from what I've read online, a lot of other people was the characters. You know, Duchess especially is such a brilliant main character because someone who's kind of heart in the sleeve, but also vulnerable, but also strong, and that kind of a really, really well written and realised person you don't really tend to get in these types of stories, at least not the ones I've read, read for a wee while. So I thought it was, it was fantastic. And it must have been, I mean, was there a feeling of like vindication again is about the wrong word here, but like 
so serendipity almost about the stuff that you've been writing for your whole life coming together in this way yeah it made me feel like um i was on the path that i should have been on yeah. You know, like I said before about hoping that something would come out, come and find me and kind of naively believing that. And um, and I think it did. You know, I think that to get paid for something like this, you know, to do it for a living is is I don't know. It just seemed like I, I did. I was a big reader when I was a kid. But to be a storyteller for a living seemed like something that, you know, it was so wildly unattainable um, that I didn't ever consider it. So to now be a full time writer is something that I don't take for granted at all you know it's it's more than a dream job it's you know I'm very lucky and what is it do you think it's because you had you had had this character and you you know you were bringing a lot of yourself into it that that it hit, it was such a hit you know is there a can you work out why this one the third book was the one that really took off Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think I worked harder on it than I have done on anything else, you know, and it was it was almost like drive you crazy levels of work, you know, like all night, all day and not seeing my kids enough. And, you know, everyone, everything was secondary for so long. that I began to feel really selfish and and guilty. And, you know, this isn't a good idea doing this. And um but I just, I felt it felt like the best book that I'd written as well. You know, you feel like I, I said before that you, you know, your debut shouldn't be your best book. I don't think, you know, it's, especially if you're not from a writing background like me, I should be getting better the more I do it. You know, the more I practice, the more, the more I read. Um, I should be writing a better book each time. Um, I know it's subjective and, um, you know, some, People might prefer earlier books and things like that, but I think for me it just feels like the best thing I'd written to that up to that point. So it should be the most rewarding. You know, if there's any kind of I know it doesn't work like that, but if there is, you know, if you work in any job, you climb no, the ladder, don't yeah. you? Yeah, you, know, you, you, you start hold, off as a trainer. craft essentially. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. And you end up being paid more the more experienced mm-hmm. you are. But yeah. It doesn't always work like that in writing. And I, I then wanted to ask about your next step because because your fourth book was a change of pace. The Forever's is a young adult book, mm-hmm. and and I wondered, well, was were you under contract for two books? So was this, was this the second book of the two? No, this is a, no, this was completely separate. Okay, and was uh, had, you, had you wanted to write a young adult book? Was that a world you wanted to go back into? Because I mean, you kind of thought you maybe had written a young adult book with Tall Oaks. Yeah. Um, so partly it was because the stars of all of my books that are the teenagers. Mm-hmm. you know so it's um I like to read YA and um and I was talking to someone at Hotkey Books who are an imprint at my at Bonnier and um they're brilliant and I was talking to Fliss there who is an editor and I said I had this idea for a, an end of the world book that didn't really feel like an end of the world book and um and we every time I saw her every time I came into Bonnier we talk about this and it became such a thing that I really wanted to write it and I wanted to do it after we begin at the end because that book had been like 20 years and and I felt like I needed something before I got into it again before I got into another adult crime book and spent three years or four years writing it um I wanted to do something else because again I naively thought that it would be easier in some way because (laughs) because you know they're shorter the book is shorter and um the writing style is different and um it wasn't it was just as hard just in a different way so (laughs) so that taught me Uh, so was there because often what we find and actually especially with crime writers is that there is a a a pressure almost from uh, the publishing side to to stay in your lane as it were you know Mm -hmm. you've built up the audience in this world don't go off and do something else unless you want to change your name or use your initials or something i know what you mean was Um, was there any of that pressure on you uh nothing at all um I think I think I get away with it because none of my books are overtly crime. You know, I don't write a, a series, you know, a crime series, yeah. police procedure or anything like that. I am, um, you know, We Begin at the End can be shelved on, on a lot of different shelves, you know, and it fits quite nicely into general fiction or coming of age or mystery rather than crime. Um, so I think I had a bit of, yeah, 
I think I, I was okay there. And, and we begin at the end sold in, in a lot of countries and, and the publication schedule was quite, you know, intense so that I'm still going through it now and, and will do for the rest of this year and into next year. So um, I think that gave me some time as well. Mm-hmm. And, and the hardback did really well. So they pushed back the paperback in some of the countries, you know, so it just goes on and on for, for quite a while. Um, so it gave me a bit of time. And your books, your books are all set in America. Um, and I wanted to ask you what draws you to that setting. Because I remember when I read your books, I remember thinking it sounded a very authentic voice. I was surprised to find out you weren't American. So I wondered what's your process there in terms of research, setting, finding the way that people speak, etc. cetera. Um, it's, it's hard, isn't it? You would know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Tarek. Yeah. <laughs> Google is my friend. <laughs> and watching yeah, me American too. Time shows. Me too. I was, um, I was working in a library for years and um, and that helped. You know, I just had the resources there and I just used to sit down and look at maps and read nonfiction and and read fiction set in, in where I wanted to set my stories. And um, travel guides are really useful. You know, you can get travel guides from the year you're, you're setting the mm. book. You know, so if, if the chapter like the newest book begins in the mid 70s and so i have travel guides from the 70s in america and it all gets a bit um you can get a bit too bogged down in it i think but then um but i like the detail you know i like to know what kind of tree was growing on this street in the 70s i don't just like to say a tree um so i start with you know just endless research and then um and then i create a fictional town because I like to control where everything is and I'll put it down somewhere real and um, and that helps. And and speech patterns, you can listen to. Um, I found a website where you can listen to people speaking, you know, and accents and things like that. So oh, you, can, cool. you can choose a, quite a, an obscure place in America and then, and then choose like a female of a certain age reading a transcript and you can pick up on speech patterns and things like that and then put them into your book and, or into your character's um, voice and um, and that helps and it's just it's it's the everyday stuff isn't it the, the small words that are slightly different and the turns of phrase and and I didn't want to ever get anything wrong because it would immediately pull you out of the story you know if you're reading like if I read something set in London um, I, I think that I know London fairly well and if if someone else wrote London and then I picked up on something, I would immediately be reminded they're not a Londoner, you know, they don't yeah. know London. And, yeah. and I, I never wanted that to happen. So, so we have an American proofreader and I have an American team of editors and um, copy editors. And, and so that, that helps, you know, there's a huge safety net, but you will always get um, readers that, that think you've got it wrong. And um, and they're always the ones that like to tell you. <laughs> they're never the ones that just, you know, just keep it to themselves. They're the ones that reach out to me and and tell me, yeah, the mistakes I've made. It, it, yeah. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, Tara, you you experienced this as well. I suppose the same phenomenon. But I think is there is it easier for British people to write in an American setting because so much of our culture when we were growing up the american tv the american movies and all of this sort of stuff is part of ours whereas i think it would be more difficult for an american to write something about edinburgh or something like that unless they've visited here and stuff because they don't you're not they're not as um they haven't grown up with that culture all the time like we have with the american culture i think and even the 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 stuff set in the UK often it's made by Americans, so it's yeah, it's exactly. still like it's no mm-hmm. not you don't get that authentic kind of mm-hmm. British feel to or, or sound to etc. Yeah. We've all still got butlers and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean that is realistic. <laughs> I've it's got just butler, out for yeah. lunch. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, obviously, uh, we begin at the end is being developed by Disney um, mm-hmm. just now. Um, can you tell us a bit about what stage that's at and all of that sort of thing? That is, so they, they wanted FX as their partner, you know, that was the the top choice and they, and they got FX. We found out not that long ago. So that was a big deal, you know, to get a network, their their top choice network. And and I'm an FX fan, you know, I love Fargo. I love The Walking Mm -hmm. Dead. Um, So it's moving along quite well. You know, the, the last time I spoke with them, they had a girl that they wanted to play Duchess. Um, which I always thought was the toughest cast, you know, because people send me casting ideas all the time. 
and um, which I love. And um, Duchess was the tough one. You know, yeah. it, it was always agreed that it would be an unknown. Um, mm. But they found an actress that I think I can't say, um, but she seems like Duchess, you know, just perfect, yeah. absolutely perfect. And she's been in other stuff as well. And from what I've seen, she just would be amazing. So um, they have a writer who I've spoken with loads of times who is she's brilliant. And um, she's run me through that their idea for the, the series. And um, yeah, it just all seems to be going really well. And I, they, it just takes forever. It's like publishing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, everything seems to, to so take many people involved. And yeah, are, yeah. You, are you going to be able to write at all on it? Are you, are you going to be I don't know. In the making of um, I think, um, you know, I will be as involved as as they want me to be. Um, and they seem to really want me to be. And I, because um, we've had so many meetings about the, the shape that it should take and things like that. So, but it seems like a different world, doesn't it? Writing for TV. It seems like, yeah. um, you know, it's taken me so long to get the hang of writing books <laughs> to, to write TV. I need another 10 years at least. I mean, it must uh, be pretty amazing to see, to see it being turned into, you know, into another f- media format and is there a part of you that's a little bit you know because I suppose when it's, it's your baby and you've created it and stuff to hand it over to someone else to do their taking it almost or, are you a bit nervous about that or are you quite excited um, to see what they might bring to the I table? was so at the time when we were we had um, quite a few offers from different studios and I was nervous then about making the wrong decision mm. you know because you sit down and and you expect like I didn't know I'd never had anything like this before so I didn't know how it worked and um, and I thought that you know, I was doing loads of research into them and I thought I would have to kind of sell the book and things like that. And it was more that they had, had read the book and they were giving me their version of how they saw it. So I just kind of sat there and listened. Um, but there was one clear, you know, Disney were clearly we were completely aligned on how we saw it. So so I have total faith. So a- any kind of nerves I had, I think I would have been nervous had had I gone with someone, you know, who maybe offered more money or. And, and didn't have the the vision that I had for it, then I'd be a bit more worried mm-hmm. because everything lined up. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like they're just, I couldn't have a better team of people working on the book. And um, obviously that that's in the works and you've said that you've, you've finished or are finishing the first draft of your next one. Mm-hmm. Um, is, how far in advance do you plan? Are you, are you all in on the next one at the moment or have you got ideas floating about for... No, for I'm just all in yeah. at the moment. So then this this one I'm writing now will publish in spring 2024 mm-hmm. um, and I would hope to be mostly finished with it but by the end of this year and, and will then... I would like to start thinking about the new book before we publish. So I've got all of next year to, to think about that. Um, I just can't. I get too into it. You know, I get to, um, I just can't see beyond it. Like I know loads of authors have like a notebook of millions of ideas, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just completely the opposite. How about you two? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I would scribble, if I get like a thought of something or a, or a, a you know, a dream whatever you have or some kind of idea, I'll maybe write it down. But I, 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 unless I'm actually working on one project, I find it hard to, to go beyond that although we write stuff together we've written a few scripts and stuff and that's always quite nice because it's a kind of it's it's like a way to it's like a safe space to like think of new mm. new ideas and stuff and to flesh stuff out without it kind of impacting on yeah. the book or something but yeah yeah i uh, yeah i i, I will have uh, i do have the the aforesaid notebook of uh <laughs> with, with <laughs> lots of ideas but i'm very bad at i, I need to let like them bubble over and then one will eventually stick in your mind and that'll be the one that you then um you then decide to go with so yeah it's i'm i'll take a bit of time thinking about you know the best way through it and stuff i am a bit of a planner and i don't like to start something until i can at least see a rough path through to the to the end of the book Mm -hmm. can you tell us anything about what your next book is or is it all Um, no I can broadly say, you know, it's another, it's a big book that kind of spans, it's like a crime love story mystery that spans almost three decades in the US from the 70s um, onwards. And um, it's been torturous again, you know, it's, um, you know, do you ever wonder when you're really going to get the hang of it? 
(laughs) (laughs) maybe you have already but um i just feel like it's it's the steepest learning curve isn't it it's just and it's just and there's just days and times where you think i'm just everything is just pulling teeth and it's just crap and it's just and then some days suddenly it kind of clicks i've definitely found that if i'm writing at like 11 o'clock at night for some reason i'm much better at it just flows much better, which is great for the writing, but yeah. terrible for my sleep. So it's um, exactly the same. Yeah. Late afternoon is the worst. Yeah, yeah, no, that's just that, yeah. But there's just no point. You yeah. big lunch and just quite sleepy. It's the same in my day job and the same as well. Don't <laughs> if anyone gets sued in the afternoon, don't call, call me at two o'clock onwards because you'll get no help. <laughs> I always feel as well. You know, when you finished it, I always genuinely feel that I can never do it again. You know, I feel like I can't, I can't do this Dreamed. ever again. Yeah, that yeah. I'll never be able to do it again. And um, that's strange, isn't it? I wonder how many careers you feel like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but like, do you, so I mean, do you do you have a routine then? Do you what? Do you have a set number of words, a set number of hours that you want to um, do every day? Or? I'll write every day, so there's no days off. Um, but other than that, I t- I make time to go to the gym in the morning because otherwise I go a bit mad just sitting on my mm. desk for hours on end. Um, and I try and avoid late afternoon. Like I'll see, spend time with the kids. Like things have changed, you know. Like when I wrote We Begin at the End, it was working three jobs and and writing all night. And um, think things are a bit healthier now. I think I have a bit more time for family. And um, but no, there's there's no real kind of pattern. There's no word count or anything like that. Um, as long as I write something. Um, no, this, do you do you set yourself targets? No, I, although I definitely I, I agree with the. I think what it is is you need the habit or the routine of writing, um, whether it's yeah word counts. I, I've not found particularly useful for my own writing, um, but yeah, just doing it every day because it's very easy to fall out. You know, it's very easy to think if you're in a stage of like you were saying, Tarek, when it's sort of pulling teeth to try and get something to come together. It's much easier to just say, "I'll do it. T- I'll have a think about it, and I'll do it tomorrow." <laughs> and Please then, have Xbox. And yeah, exactly. Help. Yeah, help. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what about you, Tarek? Yeah, I find I find word counts uh, they, they end up stressing me out because if I don't hit them, I just feel crap and I feel like I failed. And then you, that's, I feel that's not a good mindset to be in. And and then sometimes, you know, I have to think you're probably better off getting. 500 words down but they're really good 500 words you're really happy with it maybe spent you all day getting a paragraph whatever but i'd rather have that than five thousand words of just you know just, just shite and and that's my problem is that i i and i know i should just push through the first draft especially i should just push through get the first draft done put it in a drawer for a few weeks and go back to it but i hate i find it really hard to move on if i know what i've written is crap mm-hmm. like I, I need to be at least a little bit polished before i can move on to the next part of it and so yeah so i so i feel it's more just the I can't move on till I'm happy with it, as opposed to how many words I've written, which is maybe a slower process, but um, but maybe needs less editing. I don't know. It's all swings and roundabouts, I suppose. It's interesting though, because obviously we've spoken to a lot of writers in this podcast now, and everyone seems to have their own. Like some people are very much like just write the first, get the first draft down to the extent of like if they don't know how a scene is going, they just put square brackets something wow. happens yeah. and then they just get to the end of the story essentially and then sort of rebuild it up in layers from there I suppose through the drafts whereas others are very much like I have to you know they want a very first clean first draft so I, you know if there's one thing that has taught me it's that there is no right way to do this you just have to find your own yeah. your own method that, that works for you I think. Mm. I wonder what they teach though you know in creative writing classes I've always yeah, wondered no. that. I know we've we've chatted a few folk who who have who have done them, but we've never actually they've never no. actually told us the exact like what the the teaching styles or what the actual theory is that they get taught on. Yeah, yeah there's a theory. I can't imagine you can teach it. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's why they won't tell it. You have to pay for it, and, you know, exactly, and, then, yeah. and you can just breeze through it. <laughs> that's a secret. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What was the last book that you read? Um, the last book I read was, I'm looking for it now, it's No Country for Girls by Emma Stiles, which is really, really good. Um, set in the Outback. Um, loved it. 
Yeah. Cool. And I've just actually that's a lie because over the weekend I read Riley Sager's new book, um, The House Across the Lake, um, which I loved as well. It's one of those with, you know, with a twist at the end that you have to go back and yeah. <laughs> scratch your head and think, how did he do that? Awesome. Um, what about the last film that you watched? Last film was Problem Child 2. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth made you want to go back and watch that? I know my kid. Well, we had so my wife was out on Friday night, and um, my daughter is one, and she was asleep. And so the kid that my two sons we have boys' night, and they get to choose the film, and then we get popcorn and things like that. And um, and they went for um, a classic, which was Problem Child. <laughs> nice. Is that the one where the dad gets shot at the end, and he's got the book? Spoiler. No, that's number one. That's, that's number, number one. one. Spoiler. Sorry, that's number one. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen the second one, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not missing that. <laughs> um, and last TV show that you watched or are watching? Um, we're watching Succession. Um, oh, I've heard yeah. amazing things, and um, and I always I'm always reluctant. You know, when you see that there's like four or five seasons that you've got, and you're so far behind everyone, um, I find it hard to get into. But it's as good as I'd heard. You know, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And quite easy to watch or binge it quite quickly, so you catch yeah. up quite soon. Yeah. Um, well, the, the very, very last thing we always do is a super quick fire, either or, and I always say there's no wrong answers apart from mm-hmm. one of them, but we'll start off with Bill Beverly or Cormac McCarthy. Oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, that's so difficult because I love Dodgers <laughs> so much. Um, I'm going to go Beverly. He needs nice. me more. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, it's good. But Cormac's got tons of books. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, TV or cinema? Uh, cinema. Uh, Night owl or early bird? Night owl. Um, music or no music when you're uh, when you're writing? Mm, I do both. So it depends what I'm writing, what scene. Um, music. Okay. And last one: real book or ebook? Real book. Ah. Uh, Unfortunately, that was the incorrect answer for that one. <laughs> We're doing pretty well up to then, but I'm afraid that's it. <laughs> was it ebook the answer? Oh, I, we have this thing where I always say tarot. ebook's the answer. I, I don't even know. I've become this character now where I have to say ebook's the answer. For so, but no one ever says ebook. I mean, like it's published people. by Amazon. It has to I know, be. I know. I'm actually <laughs> obliged to say ebook's the best. Yeah. I like an ebook on holiday, you know, because I can take a million books yeah, in exactly. one small yeah. e reader. Yeah, that's why they're so good. That's why they're better than normal books, you see. Yeah, I, I was wrong. I take it back. <laughs> Oh, that was fantastic chat i really enjoyed that um his, his books are fantastic and you know hearing about his method and you know kind of starting in the middle of something and kind of spiraling out piecemeal it's an interesting yeah technique. it's it's a it's a i'm sure we've had some other guests that do something similar but it is a very you know it wouldn't work for everyone no that totally, that's for totally. sure um but i kind of get what he's saying that sometimes you'll have a sort of idea for a story and there'll be some scenes that are very clear in your mind and i could see how writing those even if you don't end up using them but if you wrote those first that might help you start to feel your way and often often you don't know you know where's the best place to start a story was it the who i can't remember who said it you start as close to the end as possible you know that there's truth to that yeah yeah. and there is truth to that and but knowing how close do you get before there's nothing left to tell? So and and, and so sometimes you just have to say, well, this is the scene which I can see in my head. I'm going to put it down. I work out where it fits in later on. It's an interesting technique. And Duchess, obviously, yeah. what a character? And it's interesting that's someone he had in his head for quite a while before he started writing. Yeah, it kind of started with that sort of writing therapy yeah, almost that yeah. he was doing. Um, I, yeah, and obviously. Can't, can't wait to to see the tv show either oh, yeah, whenever, whenever that comes out um, um so yeah thanks very much to chris for coming on to the podcast we'll put links as usual so that you can buy his books online but you can also get them in your friendly local bookshop as well and we have another great guest next week yeah next, continuing the crime theme. continuing the crime theme next week with janice hallett um who your, your my, big my, my rival nemesis. yeah <laughs> uh, who's of course uh, won the New Blood Award uh, for The Appeal uh, which is a really fantastic book it's a crime novel but it's 
email chains and text messages and it's all yeah you kind of learn the story as you go through people's messages and it's a really interesting way of telling the story and her second book is the twyford code which is also similarly audio messages so she's just got a really good unique um way of of writing stories it's not not your typical novel yeah and she started out as a screenwriter which is maybe where that i think that's probably right unusual approach totally. comes from but it is you know i do like things like that it kind of draws you in yeah more doesn't it somehow totally it's it's almost it is almost like reading a script, a script or something it, it's it's mm-hmm. there's a there's a, just enough of a kind of difference to make you think this is unusual and and, and that does draw you in absolutely yeah so uh, yeah it's another great episode so please do tune in for that one but if you enjoyed this episode please do give us a rating and review on apple Podcasts, whatever your favorite podcast app is please like subscribe follow all of these things that all helps us to continue to get some great guests on the podcast and of course if anyone has any questions they can always reach us by sending a tweet in the twitter machine which is at uk page one and an email which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk took you a bit of time there changing a few weeks off off and changing that handle on twitter it's never it's never sat right with me that one (laughs) (laughs) well uh have a great week and we'll see you next episode see you later